everybody. Welcome back. This is Mark. Welcome to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. Today, we're going to take a discussion in a little bit different direction. I'm going to talk to you about preaching. I'm going to talk about exegetical versus topical. I'm going to kind of wade into that debate and hopefully provide you with some things to think about. And this episode stems from a recent conversation I had with a young adult that I am uh, mentoring, and I thought it might be beneficial for you as well. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Thank you so much for joining me. If that's not of interest to you, then hey, catch you next week. But I hope you'll stay put because I think you'll find it valuable. And we'll get into it here in just a moment. Okay, so recently, I'm going to clear my throat here. Hold the phone. Recently, I was having coffee with a young man that I am uh, mentoring. Uh, He's doing a, uh, I guess you could call it not really an official internship, but we're going through, we're meeting once a week. He's, we're talking about everything from ministry philosophy to pastoring to doctrinal questions. I'm really enjoying it. The only thing I don't enjoy is how early in the morning I have to get up in order to do it. It is hard for me to talk about biblical and theological things before the sun even comes up. But with a cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee in my hands, all things are possible. Anyway, in a recent meeting, this young man said, okay, so I have a question for you. Why don't you preach exegetically. The question kind of came out of left field. And I said to him, well, why does it matter? And as is the case with many people, he came from a church uh, when he was younger with a pastor who was very passionate about exegetical preaching, who had instructed him that this is the right way and that there are a lot of dangers in topical preaching. You know, people can just pull verses out of context and exegetical preaching is the safety net from that happening. To be transparent, this uh, young adult male said that his pastor was a great pastor, not a great preacher, but at least he was expository. And so that's what we talked about. My response to him, I would like to flesh out a little bit more here to help some of you as well, because many of you listening, for those of you who are pastors or preachers, this, you know that this debate goes on all the time. Depending upon your background, you may have come from a uh, experience of uh, stronger exegetical preaching versus more topical preaching. And I'm not even sure that those are are really clear distinctions, but... We'll go with them because you understand what we mean. Topical preaching being you announce a topic and you preach from that topic. And exegetical meaning you announce a text and then you go verse by verse or or section by section through a text and expound the meaning. To exegete the text is to draw the meaning out of the text. So when uh, exegetical uh, preachers some, especially the heaviest proponents of it, love to talk about uh, exegesis versus eisegesis, and then I love to talk about narcissus. 
I believe that exegetical preaching is a valuable tool. Now, my initial answer to that young man's question was, I do preach exegetically and I preach topically. I don't feel bound by any one thing. In the last seven years that I've been here, we've preached uh, verse by verse or section by section through multiple books. I've preached through the book of Ruth. I preached through the book of Job. I preached through the book of, let me see here, which other ones I've done here. I preached through first and second Corinthians. I've preached through Philippians. I've preached through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, we went verse by verse through the book of Acts. I've done some of the smaller epistles like Jude and first, second, and third John. And we've gone verse by verse through these passages. And so I'm, I definitely do preach exegetically, but I'm not bound by exegetical preaching. There are times when I feel that it's a good idea to preach uh, sermon topics. Now, I want to address, sorry for just sniffing into the microphone. I'll try not to do that again. I want to address uh, what I think is the most important thing in Bible preaching. The most important thing in Bible teaching or preaching is to the best of your ability, accurately representing the flow of thought and the narrative that is in front of you. Neither exegetical preaching nor topical preaching will be of much value if the person doing the preaching doesn't understand the flow of thought and the overall narrative of Scripture. I don't care how careful you are at exegesis. It's not a golden key. And you can be very careful with topical preaching and be just fine. There are ditches on both sides of that debate. And it's important to recognize, I think, some fundamental things. First of all, let me address exegetical preaching. It is true that I have heard a lot of exegetical preaching that has fed my soul. But I have also heard people claim to, do, to be doing exegesis who weren't, in fact, doing exegesis. I actually think that this idea of, quote, exegeting the text is a bit misleading. For one thing, properly, quote, in, unquote, exegeting a text is no guarantee of arriving at the absolute meaning of the text. If it were, you wouldn't have exegetes, as we do, on all different sides of doctrinal issues. If someone is Reformed, they are going to exegete Romans chapter 9 from a Reformed soteriology. I just listened to a message from the G3 conference, the very first opening message of the G3 conference, which is a major uh, Calvinist uh, conference every year. And the very first uh, message of the conference was a man talking about the absolute sovereignty of God. And he used Paul's doxology from uh, the book of Romans about the, uh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God and all, and all of that. It's a wonderful doxology that Paul put in there. And he started exegeting. He said, I want to walk us through this uh, doxology, through these verses and exegete these with you. And then he said, 
Now, Paul gives this uh, a doxology after describing God's absolute sovereignty over salvation and his election of those to be saved from before the foundation of the world and his reprobation of the wicked. And so on. And, it, and so he started he immediately started front loading doctrinal positions into the minds of his listeners who probably already believe that anyway, before he exegeted the text. And then he exegeted the text with those presuppositional beliefs in mind. He didn't arrive at those things from the text. I know he would say he did, but he didn't arrive at those things purely from the text. There is no such thing as the effectual versus ineffectual call or the inner versus the outer call. None of those or the hidden will of God, the secret will of God versus the prescriptive or the descriptive will. None of those things are found in scripture. Those are theological terms that are brought to the text. I'm not arguing against Reformed theology. I'm saying that a Reformed theologian who exegetes a text is going to exegete it with the, from the viewpoint of reformed soteriology reformed doctrine a charismatic is going to uh, exegete the text from a charismatic uh, bent and framework and we all want to say that our exegesis is the right one but Loved ones, it cannot be true that a proper, quote, exegesis of the text will help us to arrive at a definite meaning. This is why we all tend to read commentaries on a text that is, and commentaries are essentially exegetical in their nature. We read commentaries by people who have the same uh, presuppositional doctrinal beliefs that we do, and then those beliefs are, are reaffirmed in us so that our interpretations are in line with their interpretations, and this is how things get uh, set in stone. And so you can have, and you do have, people who exegete the text to one degree or another who arrive at different meanings from the text. Anytime that you're trying to exegete or pull out the meaning, it requires a certain level of intuition that is not infallible. So it is not the case that exegetical preaching is a golden key or a, 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 a safeguard. Say, well, you know, topical preaching, you can really get off. I have heard people exegete texts in ways that I completely disagree with because I know that they're coming, like the gentleman at G3, they're coming to the text with their mind already made up and they are exegeting, drawing out a meaning that they have unintentionally or unknowingly already put in. Words have meanings, and words have meanings to us. And we say things like, well, words mean what words mean to the, in the mind of the author and to the, peop and the, the people that they would have written to. And I think we should do our best with that. But the truth of the matter is, no man knoweth the mind of a man save the spirit of a man that's in him. So I don't know exactly what was in Paul's mind. And sometimes I say things like, it seems like what Paul is saying here, uh, you know, is X, Y, and Z. But I'm assuming that, I'm hoping that, but unless Paul says, this is why I wrote this, this was my intention, then I don't know. So I'm just saying that exegetical preaching is not a infallible way of arriving at the truth of a text. We all bring doctrinal suppositions and presuppositions to it when we do that work. Now, sometimes we can, we can, in the process of studying our Bibles, we can actually say, hey, you know what, I've been thinking this, but as I'm looking at this passage now, I'm thinking that now this might be the right way to do it. And we might be right or we might be wrong about a certain definition or interpretation. 
That's right, someone says. That's why you should go back to the original languages. If you think going to the Greek or the Hebrew is going to ensure a unified interpretation through proper, proper grammatical and historical exegesis, again, there are Greek and Hebrew scholars on multiple sides of the major denominational positions on doctrine who will exegete a text on in, in the New Testament Greek or the Old Testament Hebrew and still arrive at different conclusions. There are people who exegete Genesis 1 and come up with a young earth creation position. And there are people who exegete on the basis of Old Testament Hebrew, Genesis 1, and come up with an old earth interpretation. You see, it's not a simple matter of exegeting. There is interpretation, always interpretation that is being done, even with exegesis. Our job is to try to do it as, as well as we can. So do not fall for the idea um, because a man stands up in the pulpit who happens to be an exegete and allow him to tell you that all the best churches are exegetical churches. It's not the case. It's not true. But I'm thankful for exegetical preaching, and I practice exegetical preaching. And I'm sure that some of my exegesis is wrong. I'm hoping some of it's right. But it's not the end-all, be-all. The second thing I said, so I, the first thing I said to that young man was, well, exegesis is no guarantee of not going off base. Second thing I said to him is there aren't any exegetical sermons written in Scripture that I can find. We take a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and we exegete it verse by verse, but it, we forget it was a letter. It wasn't verse by verse. It was a letter. There was a flow of thought, and many times the flow of thought is missed in exegesis, even by some of the best and greatest exegetes that I have heard. But most of the time, the sermons, the sermons that Jesus preached were not exegetical in nature. Well, he was the son of God, right? And he's our example in all things, right? But he didn't preach exegetical uh, sermons. In fact, he self-plagiarized a large portion of his sermon on the mount. I'll let you go back and figure out what it was that I meant by that. Jesus often would, would pull from a piece of a verse here or a piece of a verse there when he was talking to the Pharisees and he said, uh, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And if you had known what that means, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The uh, scribes wanted to know what's the greatest commandments in the law. And Jesus says, well, to understand that, we're really going to need to exegete the text. He didn't. He just said, it's, it's these two. These are the two. Love, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, the Shema, the Jewish Shema, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus went into the, into the synagogue and he read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel unto the poor. And then he went and he said, this day is this word fulfilled in your ears. And then he went on to, then he went on to speak and, and he went on to teach and he went on to explain. There's no indication that he went line by line or verse by verse through the text. Certainly the Apostle Peter, the Deacon Stephen, and the Apostle Paul. The sermons we have listed in the, in the Bible are not exegetical in nature. The Apostle Paul pulled things from hither, thither, and yon when he preached. He pulled a piece of a verse here and a piece of a verse there. And if you want to talk about exegesis being the, uh, the end-all and be-all, what about where Paul said about, um, he said, let me, he said, remember how the Bible says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. He said, y'all remember that? He said, do you think God cares about oxen? 
Or did he say it for our sake? And so Paul uh, used, thou shalt not muzzle the ox to tread out the corn as an illustration and an analogy for the support of Christian ministers. And I would submit to you that there is no exegesis of the Old Testament law where that law was found. It's an obscure passage. There would be no exegesis of that. If you didn't have the New Testament and you went through there, there wouldn't be any exegesis in the way that we do exegesis today that would help you to arrive at the fact that Paul said what's really meant here is about ministers. Because there were other passages in the Bible that talked about the support of the priesthood and the support of ministers. But Paul uses this, uses this obscure passage to talk about it. Why? Because the Apostle Paul, I believe, had a grasp of the overall flow and meaning of Scripture. So, one, exegesis is not a guarantee that you're going to arrive at the truth. It is a way, however, to make sure that everybody believes the same thing. So there's a reformed exegesis, there's a charismatic exegesis, there's a conservative exegesis, there's a liberal exegesis, and if you like what someone says, they're exegeting. If you don't like what someone says, they're eisegeting, right? So, and it is true, eisegesis happens, and it is true that proof texting happens, and proof texting is, is a problem as well. But it's not a guarantee. Secondly, there are no uh, clear exegetical sermons given to us in Scripture. And yet we're supposed to then take the Scripture and exegete it. There, are, there, are, there is no principle in Scripture. We're told to preach the Word. It doesn't tell us to go line by line, verse by verse, word by word. If you choose to do that, you certainly can. But here's the thing. So, okay. So then, uh, then, so then I said, so now... Again, I do preach exegetical messages, but I also preach topical messages. We just got done with a series on forgiveness, which has which I've gotten greater feedback to than any uh, any other uh, series that I've preached recently. I preached verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, and I didn't get and and I was in it for months. And I didn't get nearly the feedback that I got after four weeks of looking at what the Bible says about this topic of forgiveness. I was able to pray with people. There have been people in tears. There have been people that have been set free. And it was topical. But it was biblical in that as the minister, I took passages of scripture and I, and I taught people what God's word says about this topic. That's what top. Now, there, again, are, is there bad topical preaching? Absolutely. But that doesn't make all topical preaching bad. There is good exegetical preaching, but that doesn't make all exegetical preaching good. Neither one is exactly what we are, what we're told to do. I, I think that there's more to be said for topical preaching from the scriptures than there is exegetical. And yet I have a tremendous respect and have the value of exegetical teaching and preaching. But one of the reasons that from time to time, depending upon the group that's in front of me, that I may be more topical in my sermon is because I'm trying to reach people. Let's be honest, topical sermons do tend to reach people a little bit more where they are than a strict exegetical walk through the scriptures. That's good for people who already know the Bible, but I'm trying to reach a segment of people who don't even hardly know the scriptures. It's important if a man's going to preach a topical message, that man needs to be saturated in the word of God and understand the word of God. And I try to do that to the best of my ability. You can judge me if you want, but I think Christ will judge me uh, adequately well on how I've done. 
but I'm trying to reach people with the truth. This young man, and by the way, this was a good conversation we had. This is a good young man, and we're, we're learning, and, and I'm hoping that I'm helping him as we go. But he said, well, why is it that you don't have people take their own Bibles and, 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 and turn to the passages that you're looking at? And I said, again, there are times that I do. But when I'm teaching a topical message, I don't tend to do that because it's more narrative. I tend to either read the text or put the text on the screen so that the flow of thought isn't broken up while they're trying to find it, added to the fact that we have people who come to our church who, who may bring a different version of the Bible. And the next thing you know, what they're reading is different than what I'm saying and what I'm reading. And now they're, they're distracted trying to figure out where is he, what he's saying isn't what matches here and all this and that. So I just choose to put the verses up on the screen. But there's more. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is more. It is a new invention in the history of God's people, that every person should have a copy of their own Bible. There isn't even a verse in the Bible that commands everyone to have their own Bible. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I don't like everybody having their own Bible. Bully, bully for you. Everybody should have it. I'm glad that you have it. But let's be honest about how, how most of the teaching of Scripture is done. In most of the teaching of Scripture throughout human history, and arguably at a time when, when, when things may have been better, I'm not sure if I could make that case, but people generally have come to gather together to hear someone instructed out of God's Word instruct them out of God's Word. Whether it's the Old Testament with Ezekiel and uh, or Ezra and Nehemiah, whether it's the New Testament synagogue, whether it's the letters of the Apostle Paul, who were read from the from the front of the gathering while people listened to them, so. It, it would be, I think, in error for us to criticize, and this young man wasn't criticizing, he was asking because his heart is to learn, but it would be an error to criticize a pastor for not telling people to turn in their own Bibles. We even say things, and because of the individuality of, the, of, of America, we even say things like, don't trust anybody what they say from this book. Look it up for yourself. And I know we look at the Bereans for that, but again, don't... Don't assume that the Bereans all had their own copies of the scrolls. They would have gathered together to search the scriptures daily. They weren't doing it independently. They were doing it together when they searched the scriptures to see whether what Paul was saying was true. There was a communal aspect to it. But that verse aside, what, what are we telling people when we tell them, don't trust the man who's speaking from the pulpit? Now, it could be, and it certainly is, that there are some men who speak from the pulpit who are not trustworthy. But I hope it's not true that that's the majority. People can always go and check up on what I'm saying. But I don't want to establish a a belief that you shouldn't believe anything I say. You should only believe what you read for yourself. That's not good topical or good exegetical explanation of what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to listen to them who labor in the word and they teach us and instruct us out of God's word. Pastors, that's our job. When someone says to me, well, I don't listen to what any pastor says. I look for it myself. All they're saying is they don't even have a pastor. They don't even begin to understand the dynamics of sacred community. 
So I'm glad that everybody has their own Bible, but let's not pretend like that's a safeguard either. People with their own Bibles come up with all kinds of crazy things, just like some people do from the pulpit. So exegetical or topical preaching. What's most important, whichever method you, pastor, choose to use, or any combination of methods, and what's most important, those of you who go to church and are judging, well, my pastor's not smart enough to preach exegetical. I've known a lot of people who preach exegetically who didn't have the brains that God gave an earthworm. Both exegesis and topical preaching require a grasp of the narrative of Scripture, a grasp of the meaning and the heart of God. And they will apply those texts to the situations as the Holy Spirit gives them the leading. Exegetical preaching can tend to be incredibly pride-filled and dry as dust. Let's be honest. And that person who comes to your church for the very first time is not going to be awed by your exegesis of the text. And I'm sorry, I'm saying this because I, I believe in exegesis and I practice exegesis when I preach. And I've preached through whole books of the Bible, right? So I'm not a racist, I got black friends. I am an exegete. And I do, to, uh, and I do it to the best of my ability. But again, I've seen a lot of people just walk out and be like, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. That was a little bit too much. There is a tendency in both topical preaching and exegesis for pride to get in, to come into play and for intellect to take, to take center stage and for the needs of the people to be set aside. So, pastor, you faithfully Preach and teach the word of God in whatever way seems best to you as God leads you. And if someone comes along and say, well, I'd come here, but y'all don't exegete the scripture here. Just they're, they're speaking out of a place of ignorance. Don't adjust what you do, except unless God tells you to adjust what you do. But those of you who believe strongly in exegesis, stop acting like it's the golden key and that it's the absolute safest way. Because if you're honest, you would have to admit there are people who exegete in the, even in the original languages and they arrive at different conclusions because whether you exegete or topically preach, interpretation and application still has to be made. And even the best of exegetes bring their presuppositions to the text and it colors even the meaning of the words that they're reading. Those of you who preach topically, remember the temptation to just to be lazy in your study and in your preparation. When I preach a topical message, I don't necessarily give all of the underlying textual evidence that I have for this position, but I want to know that what I'm saying has solid biblical foundation. So if someone comes and asks me about it, I can show them. Now let's take a look deeper into some of these other texts. I hope that helps you. After a series on reconstruction of faith, I know that that's like a, a hard 90-degree turn, but it was on my mind, and I thought it would be beneficial for you to hear. If you teach or you preach the Word of God, I am for you. Do it faithfully to the best of your ability, and let God speak through you. Well, I think that's all that I have for today. So, I'm glad that you've listened. Thank you so much for taking time 
to spend with me on this Friday or whatever day of the week that you choose to listen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, man, I love you, Lord. Abba, you are amazing. You put up with our nonsense and our shenanigans. You put up with the fact that preachers in different schools cast stones at each other for differences in the way that we preach. And in spite of all of our error, in spite of all of our arrogance, in spite of all of our accidental misinterpretations, Holy Spirit, you are good to work through us all. We are seeing people grow and come to Christ. And I pray that you would protect us from error, to have fervent charity among ourselves, and in all things, Lord Jesus, to lift and magnify your name. Bless the preachers, bless the teachers, bless those who sit and listen. May they do so with sanctified and open ears. Bless your church, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. I'll see you, or you'll hear me, next week on another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. Have a great week.